Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, David Goh. Here to do a solo episode. Peter is unable to join us today. Just wanted to kind of touch base and recap the first two games of this National League Division series taking place against the Atlanta Braves. I'm sure many of you have been watching the two games, the first two games of the series, of course, tied at one all in the series right now, heading to Atlanta, play Monday and Tuesday. If game five is necessary, they will return home, have home field advantage by virtue of the better record, and that would take place on Thursday, either late afternoon or evening, depending on if the San Francisco and LA series goes five games as well. The times are a little bit weird for these series, I would have to say. If you look at other sports, uh, specifically like NBA, I was was thinking about, but NBA staggers their games to some degree, but at the same time, they, they stagger them by an hour, the start times by about an hour. MLB tries to make the fan able to watch every single inning of every single game, but I think when you try to cater to that, it doesn't really work because... Most fans aren't really going to want or have the time to watch a game at 12 noon, 1 p.m., 2 p.m. on a a Monday afternoon or a Friday afternoon or really any weekday. So the issue with that is then I think you're missing out on some viewers, create some weird times, and then as a result, potentially lower viewership. I think that MLB would do better if they had the games, even on the games where you do have, excuse me, the days that you do have four games Maybe you start the first one at 4 p.m., 5 p.m., start the East Coast one early, and then work your way so they're staggered every hour and a half or so. Uh, Just an idea because the Brewers have gotten some pretty unfavorable times starting mid-afternoon, 3.30, I think, and 4 o'clock, respectively, over the two games to start the series, and then similar time slots for games three and four. And if game five is necessary... That one will start at, I think, 4 o'clock as well. Not a desirable start time, especially for a potential winner-take-all Game 5 that could include lots of drama and pretty high stakes. You want as high viewership for that as possible, and it makes it a little bit more difficult to watch that game if you do start at 4 o'clock. But that's what MLB decided to do. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to change that anytime soon. MLB as an organization is generally a little bit slow to change, but we are going to talk about the first few games. Uh, Just going to have a little bit of a shorter episode, no random player of the day, no trivia question today, just really basically here to talk about the first two games, but wanted to start off the podcast with a fun fact, no trivia question, but a fun fact today. Uh, There are, of course, many connections between the Atlanta Braves, and the Milwaukee Brewers, the most notably being that the Milwaukee Brewers succeeded the Milwaukee Braves as a major league team in Milwaukee. The Atlanta Braves played under the name the Milwaukee Braves and played at County Stadium from 1953 to 1965, had a very good run, won a World Series, actually the last time that a World Series was won in Milwaukee, 1957, so a long time ago, and a bitter end to that run in the 60s. Attendance had dropped. New ownership, Bill Bartholomew, a Chicago businessman, saw the opportunity, decided to move the Braves to Atlanta. And of course, they've had a very successful run over 50 plus years down in that Southeast region, have a little bit bigger of a region as well. 
not boxed in like the Brewers are. If you think about the market, the Brewers have Minnesota to the west, Chicago only about 60, 70 miles to the south. Uh, You've got Michigan to the east. So it's not a great market, especially now. The Twins ended up going to Minnesota in 1961. So that created a, a little bit of territorial disputes, but also a loss of radio network, a loss of some fans, not a lot, but certainly some fans that would visit from time to time. So that ended up going kind of, I guess, maybe causing a little bit of um, of the move down to Atlanta. Uh, because if you think about where Atlanta is situated, the, the closest team to the north being Washington, there was no team to the south of Atlanta at the time. And Cincinnati, I think, was the closest to the east and or to the northeast, uh, St. Louis to the west. So a largely untapped market. Uh, they had they had Houston, I guess, to compete with to the southeast, uh, excuse me, the southwest. But uh, they decided that was a better move. I know some Milwaukeeans still aren't over it. I was at game two and a, an older gentleman was sitting behind me and he said he's hated the Braves all these years. He's never gotten over the fact that they... Uh, They turned their backs on Milwaukee after a nice run and decided to head to Atlanta. Uh, Certainly, I am very much not of that age, of that mindset either, although I never experienced the Milwaukee Braves, and it seems like a wonderful chapter in Milwaukee baseball history and something that the Brewers rightfully commemorate at the Brewers' ballpark. Uh, And, of course, you think, especially in light of the great Henry Aaron's death in January, Kind of a, a nice tribute, unintentionally, of the division series between his two former clubs, Milwaukee being the place where he spent almost two-thirds of his career and the final two years of his career as well with the Brewers themselves, the Braves being, of course, his primary franchise. And he spent a lot of years in Atlanta, most notably broke the all-time home run record down in Atlanta in 1974. So good timing as far as uh, kind of honoring the late great Henry Aaron. Today we have a fun fact uh, instead of a trivia question, as I had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, and it has to do with players who have played for both the the Atlanta Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers. We mentioned that Henry Aaron played for both, and pretty that's a pretty widely known fact. Uh, but there have been some some good names and some. Notable players who have played for both franchises, Uh, even this year, there are a number of them. On the Brewers' active postseason roster, Jace Peterson, former Brave second baseman, played there for a few years in the mid-2010s. And the Braves have two members of their roster that formerly played for the Brewers. Orlando Arcia, who made an appearance in both games one and two. And their closer, left-handed pitcher Will Smith. He was a reliever. The Brewers traded him to San Francisco probably six years ago now, and Smith now is in Atlanta, signed, a, I think, a three-year deal there a couple years back, but there actually were a few guys who played for either the Brewers or the Braves this year who had uh, played for the opposite franchise. A couple relievers for the Brewers, Ryan Weber pitched for the Braves five years ago, and he made a couple appearances with the Brewers this year. Patrick Weigel was one of the arms that went to Milwaukee in the Orlando Arcia trade, so he actually played for both this year, as did Arcia. Jonathan Lucroy, a Brewers 
I would say a Brewers legend. He played for the Braves actually earlier this year as a, a backup catcher. They went through a lot of catchers. Luke Roy actually threw out the first pitch at the ball game yesterday, game two, uh, here recording this on Sunday night. Uh, so that would have been yesterday as far as when I'm recording. And Luke Roy threw it to, I guess, technically current member of the Brewers, John Axford. He is currently on the injured list uh, because of that injury that he suffered uh, right I mean, the the one game that he appeared in with the Brewers this year, uh, he caught the ceremonial first pitch. Luke Roy was at the game with another former Brewer, Ricky Weeks. And then Steven Vogt played for Atlanta this year. And he, of course, played for the Brewers a few years back. Uh, was a pretty good catcher for the Brewers in 20, I think, 16 and 17, around that time. But there have been a number of guys, Tony Graffinino, Dana Eveland, David Freitas. I mean, we could practically get pretty much all our random players of the day just from this list alone. Uh, and Ben Sheets. Ben Sheets went over to the Braves to finish his career in 2012. Uh, pitched a little bit there and, of course, is one of the greatest pitchers in Brewers franchise history. Ted Simmons as well, newly minted Hall of Famer. Played for both franchises as well. So just wanted to touch on that. Maybe go one step further with the connection between the two franchises. Uh, alongside what is the obvious of the Braves being formerly a member of the Milwaukee community back in the 50s and 60s. But before I I ramble on too much about the history of the franchises, uh, I think it's time that we talk about games one and two. Of course, Brewers and Braves splitting the first two games of the series. Charlie Morton and Corbin Burns squared off in game one. Excellent pitching matchup. Corbin Burns went six shutout innings was a little bit shaky to start the game, and he walked two guys, but it was really a, a nice play by Teleza Narvaez uh, that preserved the run and helped Burns get out of the inning. That was big because after that, he kind of went into cruise control and was able to stifle the Braves' offense for essentially the rest of the game. Burns came out after six innings. Hauser in the setup role, kind of an interesting choice there. Uh, we will actually address some of the, the bullpen concerns after we recap the first two games, but Hauser ended up getting the nod there in the seventh inning and pitched pretty solidly in, in his two innings. He did serve up a gopher ball to Jock Peterson, pinch hit home run in the eighth, but that proved to be all and that proved to be good enough work for Hauser, who bridged the gap to Josh Hader. Josh Hader closing the door on the Braves uh, in his one inning of work. He did allow a hit and a walk, Tying run was on third, but was able to get the last out, and that would have been Orlando Arcia, who grounded out to Colton Wong. Wong made a little bit of a, a, a move towards second base before stopping and then throwing over to first to record the final out. And that was certainly a much-needed Game 1 victory, especially when you're at home. You really want to get that, that Game 1 victory and get off to a good start. Uh, sit in the driver's seat of the series, I would say. And the Brewers certainly did that. Uh, they did that against the Braves. And Charlie Morton had a pretty good outing. It was in his sixth inning of work that he allowed a home run to Rowdy Telez. Uh, Telez having that, that is a two-seamer that leaked out over the plate. And uh, he hit it, um, I don't know, 440 feet or something. Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was quite a ways. So... Um, that was I was I was so excited when that happened. Uh, one of the bigger hits in 
Brewers playoff history. Uh, that'll that'll be certainly go on the highlight reel that the, the about five minute highlight reel of uh, Brewers highlights in the postseason history. Um, and, and excuse me, that was actually in the seventh inning rather than the sixth. Uh, but that came then later in the game. Luke Jackson, Tyler Matzik came in, kept the Brewers at bay, but the two runs proved to be enough for the Brewers, and they were able to come out with the game one victory. Overall, a pretty well-played game. Defense played well. Offense, they, they did get some hits. Adamas, Telez, Escobar, Narvaez, Kane, each chipping in with a hit. Uh, but Morton was was pretty good until that, that last inning that he was in. So overall, a pretty well-played well played game in Game 1. Game 2 came out, Brandon Woodruff, uh, he he looked pretty good. I was at the game for Game 2, uh, not, not in good enough seats to be able to see exactly how his pitches were moving, where he was around the zone, but he looked pretty good. He did serve up two home runs, and that proved to be all they needed because they shut out the Brewers. Max Fried, uh, he really looked excellent, and the offense was never able to get anything going against Fried. I was actually relatively excited when they decided to pinch hit for the starter. Freed uh, brought in Luke Jackson, who was a little bit shaky. And then Matzik came in to face, uh, who had been announced the pinch hitter, Vogelbach. But Vogelbach then was recalled out of the game. Tyrone Taylor pinch hit with two runners on and two outs. And uh, I forget if it was a, a strikeout. I think it was a strikeout um, to end the frame. The Brewers certainly had their opportunities, though, late in that game. It was a, th a three-run game uh, by that point, and they had runners on. I think they had two guys on in the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. So they had their opportunities. They just weren't able to get the clutch hit when they needed to, and that was enough to be the difference of the game. Runs are really at a premium in this series. Good pitching on both ends. Of course, the Brewers uh, widely regarded as one of the best run prevention units in baseball, but the Braves have pretty underrated staff as well. Bullpen, not quite as good as the rotation. It'll be interesting to see how the Braves rotation is going forward to a little bit less depth than the Brewers, not quite as much of an array of quality arms that the Brewers have, but they still have a pretty good pitching staff. They still have, I would say, a postseason worthy rotation. The umpiring behind home plate was a little bit shaky. You could even kind of tell from where I was sitting. Uh, Mike Muchlinski, McClinsky, not exactly sure how you pronounce that one, but didn't have a great game behind the plate. There were there was I think one or two calls that worked in the Brewers' favor, a couple that went against the Brewers, um, and he so he was not at his best. I'm just glad we don't have Angel Hernandez though, uh, like the, uh, the the Dodgers and Giants do. One play that I that that stood out to me was of course proved to be inconsequential. But it was a play at first, Wong threw off the bag, Escobar came off, seemingly tagged, I think it was Riley, and he was called safe, which was a reasonable call at the time. But then they went to replay review, at least the angles that were shown on the scoreboard seemed to indicate that the runner was, I think it was Riley, was, was pretty clearly out. The tag had been made by Escobar. They decided not to overturn the call much to the dismay of myself and many of the other fans at American Family Field. So that was one thing that when you get to the playoffs, you really want to get, make the calls right. Now, of course, not every call is going to be in the favor of the Milwaukee Brewers, but you certainly wish that that was the case. And one of those where it goes to replay review and at least seems to be relatively clear. I wouldn't say it was so clear cut 
like it was one of the worse or one of the more more poor replay calls that I've ever seen. But it was definitely not one of the better replay calls, if that makes any sense. Um, I I I thought it was a pretty clear overturn, and they did not overturn it. So I was displeased with that. Many of the, I think, 44,000 fans were displeased with that call as well. Woodruff had a pretty good game. Uh, he he seemed to think that he pitched pretty well, but uh, leaked a couple pitches out over the plate, and uh, I think he allowed a string of hits in the second or third inning. Uh, it was the, the third inning, and then allowed a solo shot in the sixth. Uh, so just the one home run. I think I might have said two earlier, but... Woodruff uh, was unable to throw up six shutout frames like Burns was. Can't really fault him. It's not like Woodruff had a bad start by any means. But, I mean, runs are tough in the series. Also, one thing is they had the roof open, which I did not like. They pretty much have always had the roof closed. I remember back in 2011, I think it was game five of the NLDS, and it was like 81 degrees outside, and they still closed the roof because the environment's better. I'm pretty sure in the playoffs that MLB gets to dictate whether or not the roof is open or closed versus the regular season. The Brewers decide that. Personally, I don't like that it's different in the postseason versus the regular season, but it is what it is, I guess. Uh, MLB deciding that they should have the roof open. Definitely uh, not quite as loud. The place wasn't rocking as much with the sound kind of trapped in with the roof closed. It's a better environment, especially for a postseason game. So... I personally did not like that. Now, I don't think that was the difference in the game, but I definitely thought that it that it played a role in in at least at least some of the bigger innings where the Brewers had runners on. It just didn't feel like it was quite as vibrant as it sometimes is in postseason games, and I think that was part of the issue. The Brewers bullpen did a pretty good job overall across the two games. Uh, threw up three scoreless innings in Game Two. Hauser, of course, I mentioned two innings, one run, allowed the solo shot to Peterson, and then Hader with the save in game one. But, of course, we knew of the loss of Devin Williams. Williams could be back in the World Series if the Brewers make it that far. But Brent Suter also, off the postseason roster, had a minor oblique strain. It seems like if the Brewers make it to the NLCS that he should be back. But, of course, you never know with oblique strains. Those often can linger. So certainly another loss, and I don't think it would be as big of a loss if not for the loss already of their setup man, Devin Williams. But because of that loss, I think Brent Suter being down for the series is a little bit more consequential for the Brewers as far as their pitching plans go. And that might be part of the reason why they used Hader, or excuse me, Hauser before Hader in game one, Freddie Peralta even was warming up in that first game, which I wouldn't have minded bringing him in. I think if Hauser's spot in the order would have come up uh, in the, the bottom of the seventh, that probably Peralta would have come in to get that eighth inning job done. Peralta ended up staying in the bullpen, was not used. Peralta will be starting in game three, but I did like the idea that Council had of potentially using Peralta in a, in an pretty tight spot in the eighth inning of game one, especially when you have two days in between that and his potential start date, uh, especially with, with Peralta where he's just going to start one game. You could have also moved his start back a day if you felt it was necessary. So uh, just some of the, the thoughts on council's management, 
had managed the, the bench a little bit interestingly in game two. He used Vogelbach, but then Vogelbach ended up being substituted out. Vogelbach was pinch hitting for Pena, who would have gone against Luke Jackson, brought in the left-hander to face Vogelbach. But then he took him out to bring in Tyrone Taylor, who struck out with two runners on. Luke Maley ended up coming in the game for uh, for Taylor to to take the catching duties. Jace Peterson ended up staying, staying in the game. Luke Maley recorded the final out, grounded into a double play. So not a very good ending to the game. But at the same time, with the lefty Will Smith pitching, I didn't necessarily disagree with having Maley come in and potentially keeping Narvaez on the bench for maybe a, a more optimal spot in a pinch hit role. So it was kind of an interesting, uh, interesting way to use the bench. Council certainly used his position players liberally, but I'm overall in favor of that, especially in the playoffs, making sure you get the, the better matchup because just that maybe the extra 0.05% might end up playing a role in the playoffs. And you want to get every single advantage in these playoff games that are so consequential, so important, uh, where six inches might decide a game. I mean, even we saw in Rays Red Sox with the ground rule double, the ball was deflected over the fence. Uh, I mean, who knows what happens? Maybe he hits it differently and the run scores. So if that happens instead, um, it it certainly changes the dynamic uh, of that game, which is, that one's interesting. Red Sox up 2-1 on the Rays. The Rays really looked like they were clearly outplaying the Red Sox early on in the series. Red Sox, of course, being the underdog, winning only 92 games and one of the wild card spots, uh, defeated the Yankees. But Tampa Bay won 100 games. I think they were kind of better better set for the playoffs with the amount of depth they have on their roster, uh, 1 through 26. So that's an interesting series to watch. Astros White Sox as well. Astros got out to a 5-1 lead. I'm recording this during the game right now, but uh, last time I saw White Sox ended up coming back and making it a 6-5 game, took the lead. So I'm kind of hoping that that the White Sox are able to make the series a little more interesting, not get swept. Uh, definitely, Tony LaRusso's managing came into question already in Game 2 when he decided not to use Michael Kopech out of the pen. He said it wasn't a must-win game, which, I mean, technically, yeah, but you're down 0-1, it's Game 2, and you've got to protect a lead. Why go to Crochet on back-to-back? Instead, he goes to, excuse me, he goes to Crochet instead of going to Kopech. I disagreed with that a lot. It seems like many White Sox fans did and ended up being um, kind of a game changer. Ended up uh, losing that game. And so the Astros are up 2 nothing. Of course, we'll know more by the morning uh, whether or not the White Sox or the Astros win Game 3. Astros winning Game 3 would mean a sweep and already the end of one of the series in the postseason in the in the in the division series and Giants and Dodgers tied at one all right now a couple good games Logan Webb with an excellent pitching performance even though the Brewers would have home field advantage over the Dodgers I am rooting for the Giants I would rather face the Giants but at the same time it'd be kind of nice if the Brewers were able to get the opportunity to overtake the Dodgers um, being kind of the they're they're almost like the modern day Yankees uh, if you take the Yankees of, of, say, the 90s or the 70s or the 50s, uh, and historically who the Yankees were, that's kind of the Dodgers right now. So 
for that reason, I kind of want to see the Brewers overtake the Dodgers rather than the Giants. But at the same time, if the Giants do beat the Dodgers, it's going to be a, a tall order to beat either of the teams, both excellent teams. Uh, and it'd be nice to see the Dodgers out of the playoffs a little bit earlier than than maybe what would have been expected. So that is going to wrap it up for today's episode. Just wanted to touch base a little bit and recap the the first two games of the series. Game three uh, taking place on Monday. The pitching matchup will be Freddie Peralta for the Brewers against Ian Anderson for Atlanta. And they play at noon tomorrow, so the early start time with the possibility of four games. I think they get shifted back to three o'clock if the Astros win uh, and, and, and that series is over. But could be an early start for Brewers and Braves tomorrow. So that will be an interesting matchup. Ian Anderson's a, a very good young right-handed pitcher. Uh, not to the caliber of Freddie Peralta, but he is he is a good pitcher. Game four probable still to be determined. That will take place on Tuesday. Right now slated for 4 p.m. Central, but that could change. Um, actually, I should say, probably, I don't think it can change because either way, Giants-Dodgers will be going on on Tuesday. Uh, so they have the early slot again for the NLDS uh, matchups on Tuesday. I would guess that Eric Lauer will start, and I would anticipate the Brave starting Waskar Yanoa, but nothing is finalized yet for that. And those two games taking place at Truist Park down in Atlanta. So be sure to stay tuned to our coverage as we go over the games, of course, analyze them see what areas maybe the Brewers could improve upon, what they've done well in the series. I think the Brewers are going to win in four. I'm pretty confident about the Brewers' chances going to Atlanta. The Brewers are a better team. Uh, the offense hasn't been great, but it's been encouraging to see them still get on base. And they've really been one or two hits away from kind of bursting out and scoring a few more runs. They've got their opportunities. They just haven't gotten that clutch hit, the, the timely base hit that they've needed. And that's been the difference between getting shut out the second game and scoring only two runs the first game and probably scoring four or five in each game. So uh, I'm overall not too concerned about the Brewers' offense. The pitching has been good still. And hopefully the Brewers are able to uh, hold to my prediction and take the series in four games. Uh, we will know the result by the time I speak to you guys next. So uh, we're hoping for a Brewers victory in four uh, but it would be kind of fun to see game five um, and maybe recreate the Niger Morgan walk-off or um, create some drama that way but thanks for listening uh, as always as we wrap up and into the division series go Brewers <laughs>